on episode 561 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Chelsea Luger and Thosh Collins and discuss their book, The Seven Circles, Indigenous Teachings for Living Well. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 561. you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. i'm alan meisner i'm an nsam certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change and fitness nutrition a fai certified functional aging specialist and an ota level 2 online trainer I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASN certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. What's keeping you from losing weight, improving your health and getting more fit? You start out great and then bam, something comes along and derails you. Your diet was going great, but that birthday cake on Saturday fired up your sweet tooth. Or you were working out every day and you hurt your foot. Your doctor told you to keep off of it for six weeks. Those six weeks have come and gone and you're still keeping off of it. But deep down, you know it's not the cake or the injury to blame, right? It's a mindset block. And like an invisible wall, each and every time you make progress, you inevitably backslide. Until you address your health blocker, you won't see the success you want and need. That's why I created a quiz to help you diagnose your health blocker. It's absolutely free at 40plusfitness.com forward slash quiz. Take the free What's Your Health Blocker quiz at 40plusfitness.com forward slash quiz. Hey, Raz, how are things? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I, I had a... Um, very productive weekend. Good. Um, and uh, just came out with a lot of different things that I want to do going forward. Because, um, you know, I'm, which is a sad mm-hmm. part. But then mm-hmm. I've decided, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to make good out of that one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm working on some things there uh, that I'm not really ready to talk about until after the gym's closed and I get that chapter closed. But, um, as you're listening to this, you missed this. But this week, this actual week, we're recording this in the group, the Facebook group we have, which you can get at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group. Our challenge this week is called the Braveheart Challenge. And it's about facing a fear, something mm-hmm. that you're afraid of. And it's stretching yourself outside your comfort zone. And going outside your comfort zone, I've said this before, I don't always live it, but I say it, is that that's where you, that's where things happen. That's where you get better. That's where you improve. That's how you change is getting outside of your comfort zone. So that's what this week is about. And several people over time have said, well, look, you live in one of the most beautiful places on earth. You got a, you know, a bed and breakfast there. You got equipment and stuff there. You should do a retreat. Oh. And I agree with them. Yeah, I should. <laughs> but, but, I, <laughs> but I always have talked myself out of it for one reason mm-hmm. or another. Um, but I'm announcing that we're going to do a 40 plus fitness retreat. Oh boy. On the last week of May here in Bocas del Toro. 
And so both of our daughters will have been married by that time. We'll come back and we're going to have a one-week retreat here in Bocas del Toro. Um, the thing is, I, I can't do it with a lot of people because it just functionally wouldn't work right now. It's not like we have this auditorium or place that we could really host it at this moment. Uh, so I've got to limit the number of people. So it's probably going to only be about 30 people. And then we'll, we'll have to cut that off at some point. Sure. Uh, there are a lot of other things I'm going to talk about. And the best way for you to keep up with what, what I'm doing is to go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat. And yes, I'm going to ask you for your email <laughs> uh, so I can email you the stuff that's going on. So as I start to develop this, because this was just to sit down this weekend and scratch out on a piece of paper, what does this look like if I do a retreat? You know, what do we do on Monday? What do we do on Tuesday? What do we do on Wednesday? Uh, kind of thing. So I mapped it out for the whole week. Now, awesome. you're going to travel down here. It's two days down and two days back. So, you know, you're going to have to take off a little more than a week. That's why I wanted to put that out there. A lot of times people will say, we're doing a retreat next month. And you're like, I don't have time mm -hmm. to book airfare and get there next month or two months. So, and you might, e might even have a passport. So, get your passports in order, get on this list, 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat. Uh, I'm going to go first come, first serve. And I'll reach out and I'll say, are you interested? And if they say they are, I'm going to say, okay, here's what it is. And you got to be on this list because I'm not going to open it up to the public if I know there's people that are interested now. So if mm -hmm. you get on the list, then I'll know you're interested. I'll send you the information as, it's, as it develops. And then when we're ready to take signups, you'll be the first to know. Uh, and be one of the 30 people that will be at the what I hope is the first annual 40 plus fitness retreat. That sounds um, awesome. So yeah, that's what I've been working on. And um, I'm also going to redo the uh, crush the holidays. Oh, cool. Thing. Not ready for that yet. I just started on that. So I was kind of brainstorming this uh, retreat and then I'm brainstorming and then starting to work on getting things together for the crush the holidays challenge. Um, so I've been putting all that together. So that's, has been a very creative, busy weekend, but, um, Sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> awesome. That sounds really exciting. How fun. And yeah, it would be a beautiful place to have a retreat. That sounds yeah. awesome, Alan. Yeah. It'll be right after our busy season. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. our busy season here runs all the way through, uh, uh, Easter, which this year is in April. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we can finish out our Easter rush, um, go do the wedding with our, our, daughter summer and then come back and have a retreat here with um, some of our best friends at 40 plus fitness that sounds awesome so how are things up there good good just getting ready for the upcoming holidays you know thanksgiving's around the corner my favorite eating day of the year <laughs> <laughs> and so we're starting to make our plans for that holiday and i haven't given an update in a while probably to the listeners but as um you know my husband has been battling kidney cancer and we just found out that his surgery date will be december 8th so he'll have his surgery that he'll lose his kidney that day and um and then he'll have some recovery time right before Christmas. So that kind of works out <laughs> for our family. It'll be nice, a nice relaxing December for us. So just want to let you know that that's coming up and we're pretty happy about it. Yeah. And then he'll be able to go into January and February with the ice fishing and the hunting and he'll yeah. he should feel a lot better then. Yeah. Where he's actually making plans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ice fishing will be great. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good for him. Good yeah. for you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's, he's, he's getting this done and, and it's yeah. working out well for him. Yep, finally. Yep, good news. All right. Well, are you ready to talk about the seven circles? Yes. 
Our guests today grew up actively engaged with their indigenous cultures, Chelsea from North Dakota and Thosh from Arizona. Seeing the deep need for health advocacy, they are actively speaking and teaching across North America. Chelsea is a writer and health advocate. She is the co-founder of Well for Culture. Thosh is a photographer, board member for the Native Wellness Institute, and a co-founder of Well for Culture. Today, we're going to talk about their book, The Seven Circles, Indigenous Teachings for Living Well. With no further ado, here's Chelsea and Thosh. Chelsea, Thosh, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So your book is called The Seven Circles, Indigenous Teachings for Living Well. And there's so many good things I can say about this book, and we're going to get into some of those. But I think one of the things that really kind of struck me was, you know, there's a saying out there about like one of the biggest curses is to be the smartest person in the room. And you guys put yourselves in situations where you were not the smartest person in the room. And you did it many, many, many times talking to some really intelligent and people who have just been around and understand the indigenous life. And they remember the lessons from their grandparents and their great grandparents. And they shared that with you. And you took all of those great learnings and melded them into something that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that that's what you got out of it. And indeed, one of the first things that we always like to acknowledge is that our knowledge is not our own. We grew up in our communities. We grew up amongst our elders, amongst spiritual leaders and political and cultural leaders, and who have just been so generous with their knowledge. And so we just feel really grateful to be able to share it in a new way. And and I think the other thing that's interesting is, is both of you are from different parts of North America. So you bring your own kind of dynamics to it, but you didn't just stop there. You reached out like across all the spectrum of what's out there and acknowledged that there's not like one teaching. There's not like one thing that permeated everything but you found these threads of commonality and and you just you kind of use them to stitch up what this whole seven circles thing is all about it encompasses bits of all of them but not any one of them really dominates the way that you approach this because you saw wisdom across the spectrum absolutely so there are seven different areas of our health and of our lifestyles that we feel our ancestors really exemplified in their lifestyles and that indigenous teachings continue to find unique ways of explaining. And so while much of the wellness conversation is focused specifically on food and fitness, which are two very, very important pieces of it. And those each are a circle. There are also these other pieces that we've identified. And the main point is though, that all of these are so interconnected, you can't remove one from the other. And when we created the seven circles of wellness, we were seeing that almost every other uh, wellness model or book was organized by lists or by pillars without necessarily visually connecting these. And so we just found it really important to actually show this model where they were all visually mm-hmm. connected. Yeah. The, the word I like to use is matrixed. It was like, it was really a tight model because you, you know, and, and I think people know that is if you have a bad food day, you're probably not going to sleep very well. 
uh, and suffer some other health consequences. So it, it, it really does show how all of these work together symbiotically to build a model of health. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that we're from different parts of native country and, and my people come from uh, what is now known as Arizona. I was born and raised on the Salt River Pima Maricopa community. It's a reservation right outside of uh, what is now known as Scottsdale, Phoenix area. And, and a lot of what we put into seven circles, as Chelsea said, is, is what we learned from, you know, and our community is what we were raised in. And some of it is knowledge and information that we are putting back into practice that we've only heard mentioned and that hasn't been practiced. And that's really happening all across Native communities, Native American communities in the United States, and also First Nations communities in Canada. We, we have aspects of our pre-colonial indigenous lifeways that we are, have revitalized and preserved and are applying it today and to help us to be in thriving health and to reclaim our health. And that's what the seven circles are, sleep, food, movement, ceremony, sacred space, connection to land, and connection to community and people. So, and all seven of those areas there affect our spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional well-being. And so we see that as, as those are the seven aspects that have allowed our people in pre-colonial times to live in thriving health, to survive the harsh climates that they did, and to, to really thrive, you know, and to pass down um, the knowledge and information to our generations today. So that's, we believe it's a, a model that's certainly suitable for all people from all walks of life to utilize. It's sort of like a template and people can use whatever cultural context they were raised in to zoom in on these areas to find out how they can, you know, bring balance, restore balance and harmony with their overall health and see themselves connected to the land and connected to the community around them. I do want to dive into a few of these circles while we're on here. We can't obviously get into all of them. Uh, that would be a very, very long episode. Uh, but there are a few that I want to touch on because, uh, you know, obviously I, I can't get off of a podcast without talking about movement because I'm a personal trainer um, and mm -hmm. I'm also a, a nutrition coach. So I, I can't leave a call without talking about nutrition mm -hmm. and food. So there are some others I want to talk about, but there was one thing you brought up, and this is a quote that was in the book. And I want to read this because I think this is really important for someone to understand what this model does for you. Okay, engaging with the seven circles of wellness is not a crash diet or New Year's resolution. This is a sustainable, long-term, everlasting cycle of seeking health and wellness that you have already been participating in, whether you know it or not. Mm. Yes, absolutely. There are so many people out there who are practitioners of health, who are exemplifying wellness and demonstrating leadership in these different areas. But it's just that sometimes we're not seeing that we're not giving ourselves credit for, you know, the way that we're keeping our home and the way that we are taking care of our family members and the way that we are getting good rest at night, really on a good routine with our circadian rhythm, all of these different areas of our, I mean, there's dozens of things that people do for their health that they're not even realizing are really important. And then, so if they can continue to do those, and in addition, find a modality of movement or a way of connecting to a good way of eating that works for them then we're looking at a really nice balanced lifestyle. And sure, we're going to fall in and out of balance in all of these different areas on pretty much a daily basis. You know, I have a bad cold right now. I have gotten pretty bad sleep the last couple of nights, but I'm not going to sit here and beat myself up over it. All it is is just acknowledging, okay, 
I see that I have a cold, my health is out of whack, and I know that it's a cycle and that there are steps I can take to get back to that place. And when I have those seven circles in front of me, it becomes very easy for me to identify which of those areas am I neglecting and can I once again address so that I can feel some semblance of balance again. So it's just a constant cycle. It's in and out, it's ebbing and flowing, and we're all participating in that. Yeah, and we like to to share that viewing these changes like a change of relationship to food or finding a modality of movement that works for them. We encourage everyone to see this, to view this as these are life ways. It's a way of life that you're finding it and you're constantly evolving, you're constantly learning and that there's no finish line, right, to healing and health and wellness, that it's never a finish line to where finally you get your A1C down to a manageable range and then you think, oh, I can eat whatever I want now. You know, or I've gotten my, you know, PR deadlift to a certain number and, you know, and oh, that's it. I can just stop training that from there. I've I've accomplished that goal. And, you know, we always try to encourage everyone that we are constantly evolving and we look at all these aspects as as these are a way of life in whatever way we choose as far as our sleep habits to modes of stress relief, such as meditation or food ways or whatever modality of movement, it should be something that we could adhere to. It can adhere to for longevity. How can how long can we do this? It should support that, I believe. Yeah, I, the way I look at it, and this is some of my background. I, w- I was an auditor, so this, of course, this is the way I'm going to look at it. Is this sort of like a, a self audit? Like you're you're looking at your life from these seven prisms, these seven directions, and because that's the model's kind of built in a circle around you know you, and you literally go out and look and say, how is my movement practice? Am I doing the best I can for myself there. How's my food? How's my sacred space? And so you kind of can look at yourself from that holistic way of saying, okay, I'm doing well here. I could do better there. This is not at this point in my life, all that important relative to some of these others. And so in the book, and this is not a test, because I know when you write a book, you wrote this maybe a year or two ago, uh, but you gave an example, and I think it was a really good example, and I'm sure you could come up with something similar. It's like, you talked about a man who was 40 years old mm-hmm. and where he was in his life at that point, and then you flashed forward to when he was an elder, which I would guess was probably in his 60s or 70s, and everything had shifted in his seven circles, but he was still living the right life because he was still true to where he needed to be. Can you kind of talk mm-hmm. about how that works for someone? Because there are folks that listen to this show that are in their, some are in their thirties, but there's, you know, in their forties, some are in their seventies and eighties. So for someone who's looking at how to apply this to themselves, can you kind of give us some examples? So a life of wellness is not something that we only find in our youth. And that's why I absolutely love the concept of your podcast Mm -hmm. in the first place. I just have to say that because isn't it unfortunate that the idea of 40 plus fitness is novel or unusual to so many people, but in reality, we can continue fitness and healthy eating and connection to land and all of these different circles until the day we die. And our ancestors exemplified that and we can reclaim those practices today. So yeah, in the example that you're talking about in the book, we we share a scenario of a man, you know, that when he's 40, he's really thriving in 
you know, I, I don't remember the exact example, but that's what I said. It's not a test. Meant, it's not a test. <laughs> totally. <laughs> he's really thriving, I think, in, you know, um, movement because he's getting his exercise and he's thriving in, you know, sleep because he's getting his good eight to nine hours of sleep every night. He's uh, neglecting his connection to land a little bit because he's having trouble finding time to get outside. He's neglecting his sacred space a little bit because he's got young kids and it's been really difficult to, you know, keep his yard trimmed and to keep his, you know, house tidy and stuff like that. But he's aware of that and it's in his mind and he's working toward it. So, so those are just some examples. And then by the time he's an elder, his food circle has really grown and is really healthy because, because when he was 40, he started to learn how to plant and how to grow food. And so by the time he was, you know, of elder age, he was not only in the habit of that, but he was an expert and a people, a person who others would come to for guidance in how do I reestablish a relationship to food. And so that just shows that we have different seasons of life. We're going to show and exemplify wellness and health in different ways in those different seasons. And it's okay that that changes as long as in general, we are aware of these seven circles and we're doing our best in those different areas and allowing them to grow and change. Yeah. Now, now the way I think that happens, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that that's a part of the fact that this is a cycle and the cycle is learn, engage, optimize. Can you talk a little bit about how that cycle works and how that allows us to continue to, you know, be good at what we're good at and then be aware of where we need to grow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we've outlined is that, as you mentioned, learn, engage, optimize. And learning is that phase of life where we're learning to implement these new life ways. We are exploring. We are talking to people, knowledge keepers. We're maybe reading the scientific evidence associated with each of these circles right here that teach us a little bit more about that. And then engages. We are we are being proactive with, uh, you know, being implementing these we're implementing all these practices we're seeing what works it's the trial phase you know we're seeing what works maybe someone is incorporating different methods of fasting and they're trying different you know what helps is it help you to fast you know for an extended you know 12 hour window or do you have a small four hour fast or you cutting off eating at a certain time they're discovering you know they're discovering various modalities of movement maybe they're discovering different things on the land like learning to forage some fruit plant hunt fish exploring these things right here and finding community, finding a community to be a part of, to do these activities with that support, this way of life. And then to optimize as they've already discovered that you've done the work and you've discovered what's working. You're able to experience the benefits of, of these changes and the life ways you're able to experience, you know, be able to even report changes just anecdotally on, on how you feel, or maybe even it's reflected in all of their, their biometrics, maybe their insulin sensitivity improved, maybe their cortisol went down, you know, maybe their LDL, HDL levels have improved because they've incorporated more exercise and changing the way they're eating, you know, and maybe they're experiencing less stress because they found some modality of stress reduction, meditation of some sort. So that's that, that optimized section right there, you know, and now they're able to teach that and share and be able to incorporate others into that journey so they can learn as well. Yes. And the key to as well is that at the end of the optimum, there is no end. So I'm sure you 
know this very well is the more you know the more you know you don't know mm -hmm. so yeah. the beautiful thing about that optimized section is now because you've been learning and engaging and practicing all these different areas for so long you're like okay now I want to know even more about this this and this yeah. and I want to really hone in and really you know become an expert in these areas and after the optimized section the learning continues yeah and we're changing too that's the other thing that's going on as we get a little older, you know, the things I did when I was 40 or 30 or 20, you know, aren't in my best interest right now. So it's right. a relearning of what is it like to be in the mid fifties right. and how I should train, how I should eat, how I should live my life. And, you know, all those different, uh, the seven circles is just, you have to be looking at them and understand that, that you get older, you have to change your ways to fit your new living environment. Yeah, absolutely. We love that. That's your interpretation of that too. And that's what we would hope for because we know people probably see us. I'm 40. She's in her you know, 30s. People probably see, oh, this is maybe something only for young people. Well, and I'm glad that, that you were able to view in, in the utility in all cycles of your life, all, all stages of your life. And that's what we'd hope for. And that's why seven circles isn't a circle. It's circular, just like everything in our world moves in cycles and circulars, even down to the very molecular level that we are made up of. Everything is in cycles. Everything is circular. And so we are constantly evolving and we just each new phase of life are finding out what, how can we adapt this modality to serve our needs here and there. Yeah. And I know for ourselves, like something that's really important is like, we recognize we're in an early season of our marriage. For example, we've been, you know, together for 10 years, married for three, I think. And we're in an early season of parenting. You know, we have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. We know that there are going to be so many changes and shifts in our lifestyle. But rather than viewing it, which unfortunately so many Americans view, you know, when I'm 80, much not even just 80, people think that when they're 30, they can't be fit anymore or they can't exercise anymore or they can't be healthy anymore in the same way. You know, what we see is not that we can't do these things, but that we're going to be doing things differently and that. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you have one of the one of the seven is uh, movement. And you had a statement in there that movement is not fitness. And I, I think the reason that that resonated with me is because fitness has kind of become this uh, this look, you know, it's a, do, do you look fit? Do you, you know, do you, do you have that thing? You know, you, you see the CrossFit, who's the fittest man and who's the fittest mm -hmm. woman on earth. And I'm like, no, they're just the best exercisers, yeah. you know? <laughs> and to me, fitness is like fit for task. And so as you, yeah. you say something like, so if I want to grow my own food, well, I'm going to have to get down and touch the earth yeah. and I'm going to have to get back up. You know, as I get older, I don't want anyone to be, you know, put on by me. So I want, when I'm 105, I want to be able to wipe my own butt. And, yeah. and so, you know, there's just kind of these things that you go through and say, you know, so when you say movement is not fitness, can we kind of dig into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, movement, we, we like to use that term because when you do say fitness for people that haven't yet adapted any sort of like movement routine into their life that can be intimidating for some people and we find that too because our work is in within our native american communities where we are experiencing uh, lots of collective grief historic trauma sometimes that prevents people from moving and then from there 
we see this this the prevalence of certain health disparities which lack of movement is not the symptom that goes deeper than that but what we see is that maybe some have not discovered movement in a way that appeals to them maybe the fitness gym culture is intimidating for many people and i can understand i can understand why i can certainly see why so we say movement because what we do what we believe is it encompasses everything from swift walking to dancing you know free movement weight training functional training uh, yoga crossfit any sorts of conventional sports combat sports uh, working with the horses canoe culture there's movement this comes in many different many different modalities and we always share with people is it's important to discover what's the movement that you're going to be continue to be excited for and that you're going to continue to experience benefit you're going to improve muscle metabolism you're going to improve cardiovascular health neurogenitive health and you're going to allow that that release of anxiety and stress through all of the feel good neurotransmitters that become uh, present once you start to you know exercise and put yourself in a little bit of discomfort you know we encourage everyone to discover what modality is one that excites them now as as you got through the model and you would talk you'd get into the point where we're looking at optimizing and i think for a lot of people they want to know okay why why is this important and you went through in each section a section that said how this section heals how this yeah. so in movement heals there were dozens uh so I, <laughs> we don't have time to list all of them but you know give us just a couple of examples of how movement heals well one thing that's a big one for me is mental health so um, movement helps it's a guaranteed boost of endorphins. It's a guaranteed ease of anxiety for me. I know that when I step into the gym to lift some weights or when I get onto my yoga mat to do some stretches and Pilates, I will experience that that boost in mental health that I might need for that day. And it's a way of feeling accomplished. It's a way of feeling like you then clear. I, I see it almost as a clearing of space in my mind because I've moved my body and I've got my blood flowing and I've got my energy up. Okay, now I can go and be a better mom. I can be a better practitioner of my work. I can get these emails done. I can do these annoying logistical things. I can clean my house. Movement is a big one for mental health. Yeah, and you know, we share that the seven circles, they are all interconnected, meaning that they, they also overlap. So many times if you are looking at food ways, like the, the circle of food, we have that. If you zoom into that, that can be broken down as, as farming the land. And that's something that uh, where I come from, um, autumn people in, in Arizona, that's what we did in pre-colonial times is we we farmed the irrigated various uh, melons, various varieties of beans and squash and corn, and they foraged. So that we meant taking many steps, thousands of steps per day on the land, foraging, hunting, all that kind of stuff. And so if we overlap that circle of food and movement, we will see right there that also what comes into play is the circle of community because we are on the land doing things with those that we love. So like in our family, for instance, we have uh, one and a half acres that we grow food on and it requires us to get out there with our, with our tools, our shovels and picks and everything and, and go to work. And I, and I like that aspect of it because I'm able to do that and I'm, I have motivation and empower to do that because I also exercise for these sorts of life ways. Like my own personal you know, fitness regimen is to support me to be doing 
things on the land that are going to support my lifestyle, such as acquiring a food or doing stuff with family, being able to maneuver on the land. And so there's how we see how movement heals it heals us because we are allowing to be out on the land to do those things, you know, to produce food there, to do it with people. And it's it's nutrient dense food and has cultural significance, you know, sustainably sourced. And so the way I see it is that movement should complement all these other aspects of your life. It should make those easier. And that's why I believe that each movement modality or each movement practice from, will vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, there's so many of the scientific benefits and the medical benefits as well of movement, I mean, which are just myriad. And touching back to what Thosh mentioned there about community, like I know even as a family, as a little family of four, yeah. movement is at the center of our recreation. It's at the center of the fun and the joy and the laughter that we have with our two little girls. And we hope that it will continue to be, it's really, it's in many ways, it's at the center of our marriage as well, because while there are lots of, you know, sure, sometimes we like to go on date night and go out to a restaurant, but at least as often we like to do, uh, you know, maybe we'll go on a hike together or we'll, you know, do some weight training together in the gym. And it's a great way of bonding and having goals and, you know, and a shared interest in something that goes beyond the superficial. Mm-hmm. So movement is just such a powerful tool for connecting family and marriage and community and connecting to the land and getting better sleep at night. And it's just, it really is medicine. Movement is medicine. Now, I, I can't leave the movement conversation without talking about the seven basic movement patterns that you had in the book, because I, I do think these are kind of important because everybody's going to have their favorite. You know, some of this, uh, my, my co-host, Rachel, she's a runner. She just, she'll keep running and she runs and runs. She also lifts weights and does other things. Uh, I'm more of the weightlifter, but I also kind of have my endurance bits, just not like her. So I think, you know, people will look, gravitate to the things they like the best, which are often the things they end up also being the best at. Uh, mm-hmm. But can you talk about the seven basic movement patterns? Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we just kind of learned from functional training and just from other trainers we've worked with and just our own learning, you know, of learning about, okay, you know, what's the best way for us to move the body and and why? And and that's one thing we learned about is, is incorporating squat movements, hip hinge movements, lunging, pushing, pulling, rotating in a gait, such as you mentioned, you know, running. My thing is I love to sprint. I don't have that much time these days to run distance. I I did growing up because I come from a community of runners historically, or people were runners and we still do today. I just don't have a whole lot of time with, you know, our children as young as they are and our work as busy as they are. So I like to get my cardiovascular endurance in through training on the heavy bag or getting in some sprint intervals. But, you know, we always share with people is that if you're looking for just overall longevity and you're looking for just functionality that we can look to structuring your your regimen around, you know, maybe I'm doing a circuit or I'm incorporating a lunge movement, a hip hinge movement, and then maybe I'm doing a rotate movement. And then the next one I'm doing pushing, pulling, and then maybe incorporating a squat movement. And then maybe I'm ending it with, you know, a jog around the, you know, on the block or whatever. But uh, we always also encourage that, you know, look at your session. Are you doing, are you strength training today? Are you training for power? Are you training for muscular endurance, cardiovascular endurance? And I believe that those are good 
sort of good little uh, templates to kind of uh, abide by and to help someone who may feel overwhelmed, you know, especially on social media, you're seeing all these different types of workouts and, you know, people who are not as aware of the body at a physiological level may feel overwhelmed at what to do. But I think that the seven basic movements and very specific system of power, agility, strength, mobility, flexibility, speed, endurance. I think that it's quite simply is putting those together. And, and, and that's a really simple uh, template to kind of keep us yeah. on track. And, and, it, and it does sound kind of intimidating if you're not from this space. So I, I totally get that right. as well. But that's where your right. learn, engage and optimize cycle really kind of comes to play. It's like, okay, I'm going to learn more about strength training because I know I'm not as strong as I need to be. Or I know that my mobility is not as good as it needs to be. So I need to learn more about how to be more mobile, you know, maybe it's a Pilates class or a yoga class or just some stretching that you're doing off of a video you see on YouTube, but you're Mm -hmm. learning, you're trying, you're engaging, and then you're optimizing. So it may seem big, but you, you know, like how they say, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time, you know, so just take that bite and try it and then move on to the next one. Exactly. What I love is self-empowerment. I love the concept of we can teach ourselves to be our own experts and as beneficial as it has been for me. And as much as I love the fact that I can go on YouTube and copy step-by-step thousands of different workouts that are out there and available to us. And that is how I've built my own movement practice in many ways is by using the internet and by using books and Mm -hmm. by going to classes At the end of the day, there's also going to be a time where I am waking up in a hotel room because I'm at a conference and I've got 20 minutes and I need to move. Otherwise, I'm not going to get any movement in for that day. And if I have spent a lot of years and a lot of time learning these seven basic movements and having some idea in my head of this arsenal of very basic workouts that I can do without necessarily needing equipment and without necessarily needing a video or a trainer in front of me, then that makes me that much more likely to engage in a movement practice on a daily basis. Or if I'm in the airport and I've got, you know, 20 minutes and I'm sitting there at my gate, like what can I do without having to break into a full sweat and have my equipment with me, but can I do at least something? And so those are those spaces where I think so many of us could benefit from is incorporating movement throughout our day in a seamless way. And I think that that's where the seven basic movements really helps people. Okay. The the next one I want to work on is food. I obviously, as a personal trainer and nutrition coach, I have to talk about food and then I'm going to come back to sacred places because I do want to talk about that. Now you had something in the book, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes you're reading and you're reading something and in your head, it's like, they're saying something deeper and it's, it's not what's in the words. It's, it's what the words represent. You know, you know what I mean? And so you were saying there, you started talking about the term colonization And I was like, so I started like thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, like fast food colonized our main streets and avenues. And then processed food colonized our grocery stores and have almost taken them completely over, you know? And so we're at this point where, and this, and all this happened not to benefit the people. It it was for profit and growth. Mm -hmm. And, And so it's sort of like your stories, you know, your history, we're, we're being colonized now and we're not even aware it's happening. Yeah. Mm hmm that's what we always say for sure is that uh, indigenous people aren't the only people who 
are being impacted by colonization, by colonization of the land and of our food systems and of water sources and the infiltration of a sedentary lifestyle. Like everybody is impacted by this today. One in three Americans are diabetic and uh, more than that are on their way to being diabetic in the next 10 years. I mean, they're so, these numbers are scary. And they are staggering. Mm -hmm. And um, we are obviously all being impacted by this system. And it's really up to us as individuals and as families to take it into our own hands, to try to find some way to improve our relationship to food once again, and to take that as seriously as we take, you know, going for our annual doctor checkups and any other piece that we do for our health. Mm Now, in the book, you did share seven actions that we can use to strengthen our relationship with food. Could you get into those? Yeah, that, you know, again, we we always use a lot of uh, historic reference. And when we look at how did our people as indigenous people, how do we acquire food? And really all people across the world, how did they acquire food before the industrialized era, before globalization, before the commodification of resources? How did we acquire food? And that was one is that our people have foraged, people foraged food, people hunted and fished, people had grown food, people had planted even before industrial agriculture, cultures around the world were farming, they were farming. And, and that's, what we look at with a lot of our native cultures right here in you know what is now known as the United States is that that's how we acquired food and in a spiritual sense our people had always eaten with gratitude we always had spiritual practice associated with our food waste so there were ceremonies of giving thanks when the food was harvested whether it was the plant whether if it was an animal even if it was seeds that we planted or we forged from the land there was always words that were recited to give thanks for that food source because we've always seen ourselves not separate from what they call nature, but a part of the land. We are a part of this interconnected, inextricably connected uh, network of living organisms. As human beings, we are part of that. And we have these foodways that we engage in right there. So there's those four foodways right there. There's that, that hunt, fish, forage, grow, uh, give thanks. And then today we've added the grocery store, like shopping smart, being able to navigate the grocery store and find out what foods are right for you that are within the grocery store, what foods are there that you want to support. You know, is maybe some people are conscious consumers and they want to reduce their eco footprint. Maybe they want to support ethically sourced foods. So that's where they can make those choices in the grocery store right there. And then cooking, getting familiar with cooking if they haven't already cooked before. And we encourage everyone to learn to cook. We love to cook. We're always cooking several times a day in our home. From our cultures, it was always looked at as cooking was like a ceremony that you're supposed to be having a good heart and a good mind as you're preparing this food right here and you're you're serving that food with love and it's going to nourish people. And then the other is for breastfeeding, right? And I'll let her talk about that too, is, is honoring, acknowledging breastfeeding is the first food of the baby. And that's something that's a big part of our cultural upbringing as Native people. Yeah. And with breastfeeding, we always say we support and encourage any way that a parent is able to feed their baby. So whether that they prefer formula feeding or pumping or breastfeeding, it's really up to them. But in general, what we've observed is that those who do want to breastfeed don't always feel safe or comfortable or are given the time and the space to do so in relation to their career and their workplace. And so breastfeeding as a part of those seven actions means just like not only 
to be a breastfeeding mother, but to support mm-hmm. breastfeeding mothers in being able to, to feed their baby yeah. that way, if that's what they choose, because there are so many nutritional and emotional benefits right. to it. It's in the way we see it, it's the baby's first food. And that's what gets a child set on a path to eating nutrient dense, you know, whole food. And we have to, we always honor the beginning in our cultures. We honor the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are the seven actions that folks can take to restore what we say is the relationship to food. And what we know is that not everybody is going to do all seven of those. You know, it's okay if you're not a hunter, it's okay if you're not growing, you know, a field of corn beans and squash in your backyard. Some people simply don't even have the space for that or the technology or the knowledge that they have, you know, to do that. And that's fine. What we hope is that there's at least one in those seven that everybody can connect with. And we know that, for example, we can all center gratitude in our relationship to food. We can all view food as a life-giving entity that nourishes us spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, and viewing it beyond what it has become, which is sort of this uh, commodification and just this object that lives on a grocery store that has no life outside of that. Really, once we reestablish that relationship to food, we can begin to center it in a way that promotes the improvement of our health. Yeah. Well, they they process the life out of it. So, closer you are to where the where it's coming from, the better. And so, hunting and foraging and growing your own is is definitely going to serve you a lot better than being beholden what the grocery stores and the food industry wants to serve today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's go back to sacred place because I, we've talked about home, you know, basically making it a good place for you. You know, a lot of times we talk about our home gyms. That's always fun. Uh, you guys have a home gym as well. Uh, you turned your garage into a home gym, but it goes deep. And, and, and also we've talked about toxins, you know, it's because if we're bringing certain cleaners into our home and, they, you know, obviously that's not serving us. But the term sacred space and the way you use it is a lot deeper than just physical. Yeah. So we encourage everybody to view their home as a sacred space or any place where they spend a lot of time, really, even your office. You know, and what that means is it's not religious. It means having reverence for that space. It means recognizing the ways that your surroundings impact the way that you feel and the way that you're able to perform your duties as a human being. When our space feels right and when our space feels important and put together and that it makes sense, then the whole world around us is making more sense. And we're able to, again, move forward and carry on and do the rest of our duties. You know, the first thing that Thosh does when he steps into that garage gym is he sweeps it out. He wipes down the surfaces, you know, he makes sure that things are in order before he takes the, you know, tears it up and then does his, you know, really intense training session in there and then, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, sacred space is making your home a place that facilitates well-being. Yeah. Anywhere where we learn, where we eat, where we live, where we, where we laugh, where we love, where, where we do any of these things together, not just solo, but together with people that we love. These are sacred spaces because they contribute to our overall health and wellness, our feeling of connectedness, our feeling of being empowered. And for us, that's what sacred is. As Native people, when we're using English language, that word sacred, that's what it means to us. Anything that really is important 
that contributes to our, essentially our health and wellness. And one of the first things I do in the morning too, especially in the summertime, the warmer time of the season, when the sun comes up earlier is that when I get up like around five or five 30, the first things I do is open the windows to the living room and intentionally let that morning glow and that morning light in. And I'll sit there and, and let that come into my eyes and to kind of help me get started for the day and visualize the day. And sometimes if I'm not too much in a rush, which, shouldn't, which I'm working on, I'll do my meditation as my coffee steeps. But sometimes I'll have my coffee and I'm just visualizing the day and I'm thinking about how I want this day to go. And I'm visualizing everything being executed in that laying down at night again. But I let that sunlight come in and that's what we do in our home. Now we let the sunlight come in and, that's what a lot of our spiritual leaders in our communities have always told us is to make sure that we let the sunlight come in and let the healing come in. Do positive things in your home. Have laughter. Play beautiful music of good high frequencies. Um, also sing in the house, you know, have family time, prayer time, ceremony time in the home. And it, it invites a really positive energy into the home and contributes to our health and wellness. And what I encourage the listeners to do is think about a person in your life whose home, when you visit that home, or maybe it's from your childhood, maybe it was one of your grandparents. When you walk through that door, you're just at peace. You're just, wow, like there's something rich here. There's something that feels very comforting and just very inviting about the presence and the way that that person keeps their home. Is there a smell? Is is it because of the way it's arranged or the colors that are used or because there's so much natural light, or there's this great smell of food cooking or something like Mm. that, you know, think about that home and try to emulate that. And one thing that you'll notice is it's not necessarily going to be the biggest home. It's not necessarily going to be based on a specific location. It could be anywhere. It could be any size of home. It's really just about the love that goes into it. So we encourage folks to just put love into their home. I think uh, as you were saying that, one of the things that struck me was I thought about my grandmother and grandfather's house, you know, and how how safe I felt there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if you had measured my cortisol level when I was at grandma's yeah. house, <laughs> yep. you know, Whoa. right there, you, you're already got a health benefit just by having that feeling when you're in your place. There you go. And you know what? And I do think that some of this, just like anything else, like, I think that sacred space is one of those pieces of health that inevitably is actually going to improve as we get older. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't um, quite figured out that formula yet for like just how inviting and how great my grandma Thelma's house felt. Like I'm still trying to figure that out and I'm definitely getting better at, at it as I get older and learning to incorporate these different elements. But yeah, I think that it is a piece of, of our health and of our wellness that makes so much more of a difference than what we even realize. Yeah. And I like how you took it beyond just the physical now that we're into the space that we're in with Facebook and Twitter and and all of that. And and you talked about our digital spaces. And I I will say that that was one of the core takeaways from your book that I have incorporated. I have not logged onto Twitter since I read your book. Wow. Uh, Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Can we talk just a little bit about uh, digital spaces before we... um... Yeah. Totally. You know, that's something that we are learning with. And it's something that's very... I think it's going to be a complex relationship with everybody based on some people like yourself and us. Part of our work requires us to be on social media to an extent, to share these ideas, to share about the book, you know, to create a more awareness about indigenous life ways for our own communities and to share these other messages for people outside of our communities. And so 
you know, we've always seen social media as a tool, but with any tool, you have to have boundaries. And we believe that now we're in that age where social media, it's required that we have we have to facilitate a healthy relationship with social media because it has the means to negatively impact our, our sense of well-being with what we're seeing on there, with our activity that we are engaging with certain people. And we have to filter. We have to limit our what we are seeing on social media because it could make us angry. It could you know, trigger things, especially in the heated social political climate that we've seemed to not be able to get out of in this country in the recent years. You know, social media is one that we have to regulate our input. What are we seeing? What are we hearing right here? How does it make us feel? We need to assess that and determine what do I need to unfollow and do I need to create a schedule for myself? Maybe I'm only on social media one to two hours a day. Maybe I only post two or three times a week. Maybe I go on social media fast for one week for 30 days and I don't check into that and I'm being present. I'm being present with my own self, my own thoughts, my emotion. I'm being present with those that are in within my space that I work with, that I go to school with, that I live with, that I love with, you know, being present right there because we are seeing that. And there's scientific evidence too. There's a plethora of studies that come out that have shown that we get a dopamine release even when we receive a notification and that that can create that addiction there. Social media addiction is, as we know, is a real thing right there. And so, you know, the science is there, you know, the the emptiness, the feeling of loneliness and emptiness that became exacerbated during COVID-19 and people were left to really only connect during the virtual world, through the virtual world. Now that we're out of that, that lockdown, people are stuck in that behavior pattern and more addicted than ever. So we see that social media is something that we certainly have to be conscious of our interaction with it. We have to create these boundaries with it. And it's going to be different from everybody for sure. Yeah. And that goes for technology in general too. You know, even something as simple as cleaning off your desktop, if it gets messy or organizing your emails and your inbox, Mm -hmm. that can give us that same sense of peace and being able to move forward and clearing that space in your mind so that you can complete other tasks. We need to clean those spaces just like as we need to clean off our table or make our bed in the morning. And those are actions. Those are wellness practices just as much as, you know, getting in the gym or cooking a healthier meal. I'm going to ask you each one at a time these questions because I've asked all my guests this since nearly the beginning. So I'll start with you, Thosh. I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Three strategies to to get well and to stay there. I think first is the first thing I always go into is the mind. And I always share with people, what is the vision you have for yourself in the future? Even tomorrow, 10 years, 30, 50 years down the line, who do you want to be in that time? How do you want to think? How do you want to feel? And how do you want to act during that time? So I always share with people to have that vision of yourself. What does being well mean for you? What does that feel like? And what actions do you have to take in order to become that? And I, I always tell, share with people, we have to visualize that, know where we are going. And every day, Every day we have to we have to do something that's helping us to get closer to that. And we have to have things that keep us accountable because we all get off track. We all get off track. We have to have some method or mode to keep us accountable, some sort of system that keeps us uh, you know, on track with our mission. We have a mission that we've created in life that has to do with health, has to do with family, has to do with school, a career, whatever it is. We have to stay on that mission there and to visualize how that's going to be and to make every day to step into that. So 
That's the first thing I encourage everyone. The first strategy is have a vision for yourself. Have a vision for yourself. And the second strategy is, is to find which modalities, which life ways are going to assist you in that. And then that's where the learn, engage, optimize comes in there. Learning things, engage with it, and then learn to optimize it so it gets you closer to that vision that you have of yourself right there. And then the third, I would say, is make sure that these are life ways and practices that you could adhere to. They're sustainable for the long run. They're not something that, oh, I'm just going to do this until I get at this weight, or I'm just going to do this until my you know, A1C is at this. It's a continuation. We're always evolving. We're always you know, healing and evolving from something. And so I, I believe that that's what it is. Have a vision for yourself. Find out how you're going to do that and then make sure it's something that we can adhere to, I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Chelsea, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? I would say the first thing would be to look within and to create a wellness practice and a lifestyle that is true to yourself as an individual. And don't worry about competing and don't worry about being the best or what your neighbor is doing or what's trendy. Really honestly try different things in food, in movement, in these different areas of health that feel authentic to you that you can incorporate as sustainable practices. And don't be afraid to be an individual when it comes to those things. So that's number one, is really be authentic to yourself. The second one that I would say is surround yourself with a support system and also be a support system Mm -hmm. because community is so integral and family is so integral to our health practices. You know, we can't put that on the back burner. We truly have to find folks and to align ourselves with friends and relationships and to also be a role model for people like our children or like our nieces and nephews and others who look up to us. Uh, You know, sometimes we get so frustrated, I think, with things that are out of our control. You know, sure, you can't change society, but you can impact the way that your family is operating. You can really make a difference on a daily basis with those things. So that's number two is community. Let's see here. The third wellness tip that I would offer is to expand your mind outside of anything that you've already seen in mainstream wellness and really taking a deeper look at all of these different areas of our health that might be impacting us and being open-minded all the time and a lifelong learner to different ways that we can optimize and improve our lives. Taking in teachings from elders, from youth, from parenting, from hardship, from all of these different areas of life that help us grow and and create resilience, rather than looking at those things in life that we try to avoid because we can't avoid them, we're human, let's embrace those areas of hardship and those areas of struggle and growth as things that teach us. So that would be my third, is in just really expanding the way that we think about health and wellness far beyond, you know, the typical and just opening our minds a little bit more. 
Thank you. Now the book is beautiful, and uh, there were images in the book. You're a photographer, Thosh, right? And but you didn't take all the pictures because you're in some of them. But there's some beautiful pictures and some wonderful stories. Like I, I just had an image in my you know head as I was reading, and you're talking about hunting with your daughter strapped to your back, uh, bow and arrow, <laughs> and and just your whole family there. And the fact that well, I know when my daughter was about that age, she'd be screaming her head off, and. I'd have no chance in heck getting a deer, but yeah, just beautiful stories about how you guys are trying to live this and use this and teach this. And so I encourage people that are kind of looking for just kind of the excitement and uh, encouragement and motivation to make changes in their whole life, not just their health and fitness to check out your book. If somebody wanted to learn more about you and your book, The Seven Circles, where would you like for me to send them? Thank you so much. Yeah, we would love for them to visit our website, wellforculture.com, which includes a lot more about what we do. And it has links to every other place where you can engage with our content. Um, I would say we're very active on Instagram. My handle is chelsea.moves and thosh is thosh.collins. And then we also have our shared page, which is at Welfare Culture. So those areas where you can definitely easily and quickly connect with us. And if you visit HarperCollins website, which is our publishing company, you can find our book, The Seven Circles, Indigenous Teachings for Living Well. It will also be available via audiobook. We narrated our own audiobook and it is available through pretty much any retailer you can think of. And we encourage people to make their own choice there and to support um, whichever bookseller they feel best about supporting. Great. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 561, and I'll be sure to have links there. So Thosh and Chelsea, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you for having us. It's been so fun to be here. Yes. Thank you, Alan. We enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for your interest in our work. We really appreciate that. Okay. Thank you. Have a great day. Too. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. That was a really neat interview. And you know, you and I do talk a lot about the importance of sleep and food and movement, but we don't often talk about the sacred space, the connection of land, the connection of the community. There's, there is a lot to our lives that need a little bit of balance. It is pretty important to have a sense of community and to be social and, and take care of, to have some pride as to where you live and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, when I, my whole journey, when I started, it was, I was doing a self audit, I guess that's the way you could say it. I was sitting on the beach in Mexico and just feeling mm-hmm. like crap, but, uh, it was, a, it was a self audit nonetheless. And it was, okay, I'm only doing well in one space and it's not even really an important space. You know, my career was great, but my health, my fitness, my connection to people, my connection to the world, um, all this stuff was just mm-hmm. broken. And so I, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, you need to be broken before you can be fixed. Um, I was, I was completely broken and it took me a long, long time uh, to do this and, and get an understanding of what I could do to make mm-hmm. myself better. And so it's a process and it's a process that, you know, you have to be real with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the seven circles is a really good model as you go through the book and say, okay, well, how am I doing on social connections and 
how does that fit in with who I am today? So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I'm excited about is community. And so we've got the Facebook group and, you know, I've got clients and I've got friends and it's, you know, all that. Well, then now we've got weddings, you know, lots of weddings, <laughs> yeah. two weddings that we're going to. And so, you know, I'm, I'm entering a phase with the daughters getting married and everything where I, you know, now I'm going to work on connecting and, 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 you know, that social thing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so it's just that, that back and forth of saying, okay, what's the most important things for me to, and, and then making sure you're not leaving some of these things behind that are important. You know, it's easy for us to True. sit at our desks and it gets cold and it's, it's dreary outside. And so we're going to stay in the house and bundle up and, and not get out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's a problem too. Oh, know? it so, is. Yeah. yeah. So it's just finding, looking at those as a, just a, a consistent reminder to prioritize and understand we have to we have to be doing something in all almost all the time doing something in all seven of those areas mm-hmm. but you know, at the same time looking at where we are in our lives and saying okay this one's more important than that one yeah well we go through these phases in our lives right i mean when the kids are young you got your kids are your priority. My kids are older and almost out of the house at this point. So now I can focus on some other things, maybe, you know, well, taking care of Mike as he's struggling with his cancer and um, taking care of my family. I, I have a run club that I participate with. So I'm busy with my friends and, and making sure that we have those social connections. But, you know, just like they said, there's um, one of, I can't remember which one, who said it, but they said, you know, it's not about having a diet or a new year's resolution. It's a lifestyle change. And it's the part that really hit me though, was that it's constantly evolving and we're constantly learning. And just like you said, we need to take the time to, to have that self-check, that self-audit. And where are we today? Are we doing good with our food, but not with our family? Are we getting good sleep, but, but not enough movement? You know, it's, it, it's a balance. It's yeah. a balance between a lot of different things. Well, the reality of it is this, okay? So if you imagine you're driving down the road and, you know, they tell you, have your hands at 10 and 2, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> you can take your hands off the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Car's still moving forward. That's right. Okay, so <laughs> you, <laughs> you can be doing this good or or you can be doing everything bad. Right. Um, and so, you, you know, it, it's up to you. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're doing it. It, it, you know, this, the, that was one of the core things out of that quote that I said was, you know, yeah, if you're doing it. And, and, but even if you're not doing it, you're still making a choice to, mm-hmm. to not do it, you know, so you could take your hands off that steering wheel. The outcome probably won't be very good. Right. Um, <laughs> you not know, favorable, <laughs> not <Yes>. a non-favorable <laughs> outcome. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you kind of get the idea is that you're still moving. You're, you're still moving. You, you, you don't have a choice. Your life is still going on and that aging curve is still happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your time on this planet with the people you love is still limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the time still happening. The movement's still happening. Everything's still moving. And if you're not engaged in making the most of that, that was a choice. Mm-hmm. It's still yeah. a choice. Yeah. And so since you know that now, just take a few minutes. This book is pretty good about like I said, doing this self-audit. There are tools out there, but this is a really good one. Uh, and it's matrixed, so you really can kind of dig down. Why is my sleep suffering? Mm. Uh, you know, I've got, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm not moving enough. I'm, you know, I'm not getting enough sunshine, you know, to mm-hmm. set my circadian rhythm properly. Uh, I'm on computers in the middle of the night. 
again, messing up my circadian rhythm um, because I can't be in my own head and just lay there and and enjoy that space. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're doing something, whether you choose to, or I mean, whether you think you're doing it, you're still making that choice. So uh, this is a good opportunity for you to, to look for that, find the balance and find the balance that's right for you now. Right. It's going to be time. different. Yeah. It could be different a year from now. You know, yep. like I said, a six month period of time when both of our daughters are getting married. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of travel, probably not as much sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Might eat some things and, and, you know, that I wouldn't normally eat um, because that's what my daughter chose to have as the, the meal uh, sure. at her wedding. You know, it is what it is. Um, rehearsal dinners and all that other stuff. And, uh, Daddy daughter dances and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's 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 a different time for me right now. Uh, you know, closing a gym and my daughter's getting married and then about to launch something that scares the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a thing. So just realizing where your focus needs to be and mm-hmm. staying focused on the things that matter most. Yep, that's great. Sounds like a great book. It's a good book, and uh, it's written from a perspective, again, uh, of this isn't something. Well, the, well, the stuff is what they came up with. I mean, obviously, they built this model, they built the seven circle model, and so that is something. But it's it's driven off of what they call wisdom mm-hmm. from their elders, and so this this is not new stuff, guys. This is how we've always lived. We've just mm-hmm. gotten away from that connection. Yeah. to how we are supposed to live. You know, it's real food, movement, sleep, uh, connection, connections, land, yeah, all that, you know, all seven of them. If you really think about it, it that's, that those should be, they, they are major components in living a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Because yep, absolutely. Not, when I talk about wellness, you noticed I didn't just say health and fitness. Mm-hmm. There's the other stuff, the happiness, the joy, all that all of it has to be there at some level. Now you're mm-hmm. going to have moments in your life that are not as joyful as others. And mm-hmm. that's just a, a check, you know, it's like, okay, am I prioritizing and doing the right things for what matters most for me? If you are, then good. Um, mm-hmm. If you aren't, then you, you've got some work to do. <laughs> that's uh, right. And guess what? We, we always, we always have some work. Always. To do. <laughs> yep. We are always, eval- always evolving and, yeah. and learning too. So yeah. So yeah. Give yourself a little grace as these things get out of balance and come right back in balance. Yeah. So as, as a general reminder, you know, we started this month, um, with uh, asking you for a review. So if you can get on your app, what you're listening to right now and leave the podcast a review, uh, it's going to help us grow. Uh, And what we want to do is make this fun. So we're going to draw one of the reviewers. And in November, uh, I'm going to send you some stuff. Okay. I'm going to send you some cool stuff. So go go to your podcast app. I've got a tool that lets me see those reviews. uh, And I appreciate, I read every one of them. Uh, even the bad ones, they teach me something, uh, right. you know, like a self audit, uh, but you're mm-hmm. auditing me. So I, I love them. <laughs> even, even if it's a bad review, uh, it, it's good. It, it works out either way, but leave us a review, an honest review. And uh, I'm going to pick one winner each month and and send you something cool. I'll read your review on, on air and then I'll send you something cool. Uh, and then as again, another reminder, I am looking to put together the first 40 plus fitness retreat. Again, I hope it's the first and there's more. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be here in Bocas del Toro the last week of May. I think it starts the 29th. Uh, you can go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat 
And I'm going to, that's the, those are the only people I'm really going to talk to. I'll, I'll tell people it's happening, but if you want to be in the know and you want to make sure you're one of the 30 that gets to come here and do this with me, uh, you need to be on that list. Again, I'm not going to send you anything to that list directly uh, when I, but what I'll, I'll make sure you know, as I decide and start planning and getting things together, you'll see it come together. And, and I may even ask your opinion on some things. So if you want to help, me make this the best thing ever, um, then I'm, I'm all ears or I guess eyes because I'll be reading your emails. <laughs> but that'll be a list and I'll email you what's going on and you can respond back. I might ask, like I said, I might ask some questions, uh, some surveys just to make sure that I make this the best event ever. Um, at least the best event I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So yeah, 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat. Sounds great, Alan. Okay. Well, Rachel, I'll talk to you next week. You bet. Take care. You too. Bye. Thanks. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Emily Sherratt and discuss her book, Yoga Animals, 32 Poses from the Wild. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.